Let us pray. O most gracious Father, we thank you for this word you have given to us, for your scriptures, for they are truly your word, and they tell us the story of your redemption, of your desire to save a world lost in sin, enslaved to sin. Bring these words to bear upon our hearts from your word, that we might be ever changed, that we might become more and more slaves to righteousness, that we might trust Christ evermore throughout our days. And we ask this on account of what Christ has done for us and through him. Amen. I've been reading a series of books lately. What those books are isn't important. What is important is the story that they tell. Honestly, they don't tell a unique story. They don't tell a story that has never been told before. But they tell an old story. One that has been repeated over and over and over again. The story that they tell once more is the story of our own hearts. It is a story that goes like this. In the past, there was a wonderful time for the people, a time when all was right in the world. Then something terrible came about, and everything was set at odds with itself. The people became enslaved by an evil aggressor who is ultimately seeking their utter destruction. Some of the people chose to go with what had come about, they chose to side with their enslaver and to do whatever he wants them to do. Some merely exist, going from one day to the next, trying to get by, trying to forget the past when they weren't enslaved, but also trying to pretend that they aren't enslaved today. But then there are others who remember the glorious past, and though they are enslaved, they push forward. They fight against that slavery. They risk all to t resist it. And in their resisting it, they reach out to bring others alongside them into that very resistance against slavery. Now, those who have sided with the enslavers, they're convinced that they are doing the right thing. They become blinded by their own slavery. They've made a peace in order to exist and they ignore the horrendous things being done by their enslavers, being done to them and to those that they love. And they ignore it because they receive some benefit for their obedience to their enslavers. And yet in this story, there are outsiders in that land. They seem to be able to help those who resist, but they too have sided with the enslavers secretly. They've entered into a pact, believing that the enslavers will honor it. That those enslavers will give them some freedom to do as they had always done, to go about their daily lives. But the reality is, who can trust the enslavers? Yet many do. They trust the enslavers more than the glorious reality that they know could be returned to. Those who resist are small in number. But they continue to resist the slavery. It isn't easy. There are always losses in this fight. But they fight on against that slavery, knowing that to win is to free all, 
even those who have sided with the enslavers blindly, showing them the new way of freedom. Freedom, you see, is not something that can simply be received. It's fought for, protected against the enslavers by fighting them tooth and nail and not giving them a chance to survive. These stories I've been reading are a stark contrast of good versus evil. Does that sound exciting to you to hear about this story that takes the story of our hearts and lays it before you in another place? What if I told you that it was a story that involved rabbits with swords and raptor birds and wolves as the enemies? Does it still hold your attention? Maybe it doesn't, and that's okay. But this story strikes a chord with me. It strikes a chord with me because of the reality that it tells is a true tale. It tells us of the pain that is in our world. It may be a fanciful story, but it cuts to the heart of what is wrong. And what is wrong is that we are enslaved. Some see it, but accept it and go along with it. Some try to turn a blind eye to it and get on with their lives. But then there are others who fight against it, knowing that there is a greater reality for us to know. They know there is something greater and grander and more than just their everyday lives. In the passages I've read this morning, we have that very same story, these stories that reveal the brokenness of our own enslavement, our enslavement to sin itself that has led to our deaths before God. But at the same time, this story of enslavement, this story of death, reveals that there is redemption, that there is a redemption intended for us, that there is a grand resurrection for us in the here and now, and that that resurrection finds its completion in the world to come. And it beckons us to fight on for it, that others might come to know it too. We are called to fight against our enslaver because we have discovered freedom. And that freedom comes from Jesus himself. And that freedom comes through resurrection. Something that we're looking forward to in a couple of weeks here as we move closer to Easter. We're at the fifth Sunday of Lent. Just two weeks away, we will have our grand celebration of the resurrection of Christ, which we still celebrate every Sunday, but we focus our energy to do a great celebration of it once a year in order to remind us of the importance of that event that we hear about every week. In our story about Lazarus' death and resurrection, we hear Martha say to Jesus, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, we don't give Martha enough credit. In her story, we always go back and look at Luke 10, where she's hustling about, running around, being busy, trying to get everything prepared for a grand meal, for a grand day, while Jesus is visiting her and Lazarus and her sister Mary. We don't give Martha enough credit because we forget about this story, I think. Forget about her role in this story and the things that she says. You see, in Luke 10, Jesus reminds Martha that as she is frustrated and upset at Mary for sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from him, that Mary has chosen the one thing needful, and that she has received the greater portion by sitting and hearing Jesus. 
I think those words sunk down deep into Martha's heart and so that when Jesus or when Lazarus died and was dying, I should say, when Lazarus was dying, she sent word to Jesus and said, the one whom you love is ill. And Jesus said to the messenger and sent this message back to Mary and Martha, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Imagine receiving that strange and mysterious message from the one you have come to see as your master. You send word and say, my brother, the one you love is dying. He is ill. And your master replies, it won't lead to death. And then just a while later, just a little bit later, your brother dies. He dies of this illness that Jesus said would not lead to death. And so Jesus finally comes to Bethany, and on the outskirts of town, Martha hears that he is there, and so she gets up, remembering these words. This illness does not lead to death, but is for the glory of God. And she runs out to meet Jesus. But Mary remains seated in the home. And Mary arrives and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She recognizes Jesus' great abilities. She recognizes that he can heal even those on the verge of death. And she doesn't say this to rebuke Jesus for not being there. She simply states the fact that she knows that he could have saved Lazarus from dying. But then she says, Lord, even now I know that you, whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. She expresses a great amount of faith right there. She knows that Jesus can ask the Father of anything and the Father will give it to Jesus. Here is faith in abundance. Here is a trusting heart, a heart that has gone and found the one thing needful. She has discovered what Mary already knew. And we forget that Martha has done that. We forget the faith that Martha expresses here while Mary remains at home grieving. That Martha comes out to find Jesus, to see him, to speak with him, to confess her faith to him. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know, I know he will rise again in that resurrection on the last day. You see, she has faith that the resurrection is coming. She has faith that all who trust in the Father's promises will be raised on the last day. And even knowing who Jesus is, she doesn't fully comprehend what he can truly do. She doesn't comprehend his ability and his power. She doesn't comprehend his grace and his compassion to the fullness of what it is. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. These important words guide the rest of this story. As Martha confesses, I believe in the resurrection on the last day, Jesus tells her, I am the resurrection. I am the life that they will receive in that last day. I am the one from whom that resurrection comes because I contain that resurrection within myself. It is mine, for I am it. I am what you all will become in your humanity. I am the one who lives in perfect communion with the Father, and through the Father I have life and can give it out abundantly. I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he looks at Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And here's a confession of faith that rivals Peter's own confession in the other Gospels. As Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? A confession of faith that we overlook coming out of the lips of Martha, the one that we so easily disdain for her busyness. Forgetting that in Jesus speaking to her, her heart was changed and turned more fully toward him that she can come out to him and confess faith and trust and rest in what he is going to do. Rest so much that she can say that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world, the one who is going to change the world, the one who will redeem and renew all things. The one who will accomplish what we heard about in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel going out to that valley of dried up bones, lifeless bones, that have just been sitting there for who knows how long, and the, Yahweh speaks to him and says, prophesy to these bones, prophesy that they might live. And he did. And they came back together bone to bone, forming skeletons, and on those skeletons, sinews and muscles being recreated, skin coming upon them, and a host standing before him, but it was lifeless. Though the physical bodies were there, there was no spiritual body within. There was no soul, no breath of life from Yahweh residing in these new bodies that Ezekiel had prophesied and had come about. And so Yahweh says, prophesy to the wind that the breath might come into them, that the breath that I will give will bring them life. And so Ezekiel did. He prophesied to the wind, and the wind came, and the breath of God, the Spirit of God, came and animated that army, animated that host. And what was the point of this vision that Ezekiel had? The whole point was that he would understand and then go out and proclaim to the people that there would be a great resurrection, a renewal of life. That the Lord God, Yahweh, would open up the graves and raise his people up. He would give them new life and place them in the true land of Israel. This prophecy is amazing because on one hand, it could just be interpreted as simply being a very vivid picture of the Lord returning the people after their captivity. But there is more to it. It is so vivid that it drives us to look far beyond the end of exile in Babylon, an exile that in one sense continued on because the people had to wait for the Lord to pour his spirit out once more to bring inspiration, to bring prophets. And the people remained in a kind of exile even in their own land, waiting for this event to be fulfilled, waiting for this full-on resurrection from the dead to occur. This is what Martha believes in the full-on resurrection of the body at the end of time. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the one who gave resurrection and life to those bodies in that valley, to those bones, those dried-up old dead bones. Jesus renews our lives. He is the one who brings resurrection 
He is the one who brings life to us because he has been resurrected himself. And the story goes on here in the Gospel of St. John. As Mary comes to Jesus and falls before him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have lived. He would not have died. And Jesus, seeing her weeping, and the people with her weeping, asks, where is he? And they take him there. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. This man who knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he weeps over the results of sin in the world. He weeps and cries because sin leads to physical death. And physical death means spiritual death for so many. What does that mean for us today? That Jesus weeps over the sin in this world. He has wept over the results of it. Even though he knows he is going to overcome it. And the Jews that were with Mary said, look how much he loved him. But some said, well, couldn't he have kept him from dying? He opened the eyes of a blind man. People who are hardened in heart. Unwilling to recognize that Jesus is still moved by death. Unwilling to see the full import of his weeping, of his compassion, of his mercy, of his desire to change and redeem and bring newness into this world. This one who is the resurrection. This one who is the life. And so Jesus said, remove the stone. And when Martha questions it, Jesus said, did I not tell you? Did I not say to you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And so the stone was taken away and Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come out. And what happens? Lazarus is freed in that moment from the bonds of death. Those grave clothes are still wrapped around him. But he comes out of that tomb fully alive because Jesus called him back to life. And so Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. Those grave clothes need to be removed. Those grave clothes need to be stripped away for he does not need them. He is no longer in the bondage of death. Physical death has been overcome for him for the time being. Now Lazarus hasn't entered into that final resurrection life yet, but Jesus still brought him back to life. Lazarus will one day die once more. The man who died twice but he is the one that Jesus raised from the dead. After many days of being dead, it's important to realize Lazarus had been dead for four days. From some of my reading, that was an understanding that once corruption had entered into the body, there was no chance that that body could possibly be alive. It was completely empty of the spirit of life. It was totally dead. And it had become corrupt by death itself. But Jesus destroys that notion because he overcomes that corruption of death, that utter and complete corruption, that utterness of being sealed in the tomb and left to rot. He overcomes it and brings Lazarus back to life and has him unbound from the very sign that he is dead, those grave clothes being removed. And each of us today has been called back to life. Each of us has been called by Jesus to come out of the grave. To come out to him and to be unbound, to be released 
from enslavement to sin, to be released from enslavement to the fear of death. That is what we are called to today, to be released from that fear, as we heard about over in Romans chapter 6. The first half of chapter 6, 1 through 14, talks about the connection between baptism and death and the resurrection that comes through that, that we have been raised to new life as Jesus has been raised to new life. Right now we experience it in a hidden, hidden, mysterious way. It's not on the surface. We still look like a dying people because our mortal bodies are still dying. But our spiritual side, our spirits have been brought into new life. They have been, it's been resurrected. And that spiritual life will overflow into that physical life when Jesus returns and that physical life will be brought back from the grave. And in the here and now, Paul now asks, well, if we are now under grace, but not the law, then shouldn't we just keep on sinning? And he says, by no means. If you've been freed from your old slave master, if you've been free from the bondage that you are in, how can you turn back to it? Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? You see here, Paul reminds us that if you've been raised back to life, you are called to follow righteousness. You are called to follow obedience. If you use your new life and freedom and grace to turn back to the law, then you just become a slave to the sin that is within you once more. You abandon the new life you've been given and you become a slave to sin and to death. But if you turn and receive that new freedom in Christ, that freedom of grace, then you become a slave of righteousness. You become the right kind of slave, the one who has found true freedom, the one who has found that Christ has saved you and lifted you out of the bonds of death, out of the grave clothes that are wrapped around you and has renewed you and clothed you with himself in baptism. Can you see that picture that once you were wrapped in grave clothes, dead in the tomb until Jesus came and in your baptism called you back to life? And those grave clothes were stripped off of you as the water was poured on you. And Jesus himself was put upon you. And you became clothed with his righteousness as you were taken out of your dead grave clothes. You have been set free from sin, so therefore you are called to be a slave of righteousness. You are called to be an obedient son of God. You are called to turn to him always, to trust in what Christ has done for you that forgives you of every sin you commit. Because I tell you, you will keep committing sins. But just because you commit a sin does not mean you are a slave to that sin. If you turn and confess that sin to God, if you turn in constant confession and receive that renewal over and over of grace, that renewal of Christ pouring himself upon you, reestablishing his baptism upon you, you will find yourself a slave to righteousness. You will find yourself a slave to sanctification. You will find yourself bearing fruit of resurrection and life within you because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the one who is raised from the dead on our behalf that we too might be raised from the dead in the here and now and in the future also. We've been brought back into communion with the Father through Jesus. Redemption has occurred. 
but it is not quite complete. We live in an in-between time. We live in a time where we are called to resist the enslavement that we were once part of. We are now the resistors in Christ. His Spirit empowering us to fight against the slavery that we were once bound to and to call others out of that same slavery, to call them into a new way of life, a freedom found in obedience, a freedom found in following Jesus himself and loving him and giving up the sin that once reigned over you and once controlled you and fighting against it as it slowly dies in you more and more as you've been released from it. That is the story we live in and that is the story I've been reading about. Redemption, freedom, resurrection, life. All of that is ours in Christ. All of that has been given to us by him so that we can abandon the old way, that we can get free from the sin within, that we can get free from our slave master, from our enslaver, and fight against that enslaver every day of our lives, being renewed little by little and strengthened ever more to resist, and there will be losses. We will know pain and we will know grief as we fight against that sin within us and around us. But nonetheless, we continue to battle it. We continue to look back to Christ to receive the strength to resist, the strength to fight on. And he will call us forth from that tomb over and over and over again. He will renew our hearts and our minds over and over and over again and make us his own as we trust in him, as we respond to what he has done and look to him alone for our salvation. Look to him alone because he is the resurrection and the life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.